All right, what's up, Liquid Church? How y'all doing today? So good to see you guys. Will you join me? Welcome to our campuses, as well as those watching online. So good to have you here. Uh, my name is Nithin, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm excited to be with you as we're in the midst of a series called Playlist, which is about the soundtrack for your life. All of us have some sort of music, maybe it kind of goes in our background during different activities or events. And you know, last week we talked about how a playlist is a, a bunch of songs from different artists, different genres, kind of organized around a theme, whether it's a mood or an activity or an event. Uh, I know some of you, you probably make a playlist when you go to the gym, uh, something with a lot of energy to get you hyped up and get your workout through. Some of you have a playlist for when you get married. You have a bunch of songs that you listen to when you walk down the aisle to kind of, uh, you know, bring that mood on and, and whatnot. Or maybe you have a beach playlist when you're going on vacation, something to kind of help you disengage from work and the world around you and get your vacation vibes going. And so we talked about we, these different playlists we all have. And then also Jesus himself had a playlist. Jesus had 150 songs that he would sing, and these were called the Psalms. In fact, why don't you say Psalms with me? The Psalms were, you know, literally in Hebrew it means praise, and this is kind of what Jesus had in his mind that he would kind of grab onto when he had amazing days of ministry, but also he would go to the Psalms in some of the darkest days of his own life. And, you know, in the midst of all this, Pastor Clint came up and he was actually teaching us last week about what the essence of worship is. He said, you know, worship actually isn't about music. Music is one expression of worship. But worship actually, it, it's not a genre, it's not a style, but it actually comes down to two things, surrender and victory. In fact, why don't you go ahead and hold up a hand and say surrender. surrender. Put the other one up and say victory. victory. See, un unless you surrender to God, you're not going to experience the victory. So Pastor Clinton was kind of walking us through that, and then we had the opportunity to practice this. We went to worship night that Friday. Who was at worship night last Friday? Amazing time, right? Praise God. It was awesome being able to worship together, celebrating as the, you know, the band released their first EP, and just really God just kind of moved in a real sweet way that night as we were practicing what it looks like to surrender, but to also to give God the space to bring victory. Well, today we're going to continue our series by going, looking at another psalm. Last week we looked at Psalm 63, which was a psalm of praise and worship. Today we're going to be looking at what's known as a psalm of lament. Say lament with me, church. Lament. Lament psalms are psalms of sadness, of anger, of sorrow. And really these psalms, in Hebrew the word lament means protest or complaint. These are songs about complaining. You're complaining to God. You're complaining about God. You're complaining to God, about God, about other people. And really these psalms are kind of ways for you to get all the pain and the hurt and the sorrow off of you and onto God. In fact, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever gone through a season of maybe some sorrow, uh, some heaviness? Yeah, a couple of us have. Or, or maybe you're like, Nathan, I don't really get sad. I get mad. And I just go through seasons of wanting to hit things and break stuff, right? So, you know, th those are both very interconnected. These are like what lament songs are. You know, and years ago, I was going through a season like this. Uh, my wife and I, we were dating. Uh, we were long distance when we were first dating. I was living in New Jersey. She was living in Boston. And, you know, we were doing the long distance thing for a while, and it was tough, and we eventually took a break. And so there's actually debate over who broke up with who. So, so I contend that I broke up with her. She contends, along with her friends, my friends, my mom, and my kids who weren't even there, that she broke up with me. We'll never know. 
but you know, that's how it is. So anyway, you know, as I was going through this breakup, I think the first week I was just like super sad. Like it was around Valentine's Day and like I'm sad and I'm crying and all my friends are like, pull it together, bro. I'm like, no sympathy, right? So, you know, uh, you know, so the first week was kind of really sad. And the second week is like, you know, you're feeling kind of angry. Like, how did this thing fall apart? Like, what, what went on? And so, you know, when all this is happening, of course, I made a breakup playlist. Anyone ever make a breakup playlist? Oh, yeah, yeah, you do the breakup playlist thing. So, so here's the question. Those of you that had your hand up for the breakup playlist, how many of you include Adele on your breakup playlist? <laughs> all right. Adele, she's the queen of sadness, okay? When it comes to sadness, no one does it better than Adele. For those of you who don't know, Adele is a Grammy Award winning uh, singer, amazing voice. And, you know, she, her, vo her songs, I don't even have to be sad. Like, I, I could be happy and I listen to her song and I'm crying. I'm like, I don't know why I'm crying. It's just so sad. I mean, that's just the power of her voice. Uh, but there's something about Adele's music, I think, that really can stir into us a little bit of sadness. Somehow, I think she kind of pricks something in our memory where it just kind of brings us to a sad, sad moment. In fact, why don't you go ahead and check out this clip and see if that does that to you. Never mind, I'll find someone like you. Super sad, right? Some of you are like, I was so happy till I came to church. <laughs> Others of you are laughing because you're in denial. All right? It's calling it out there. But you know, it's interesting because that video has been viewed 1.4 billion times on YouTube. And usually when people are listening to Adele, it doesn't matter how old the song is, people will listen to it because it kind of evokes emotions of sadness. It puts into words thoughts and feelings and emotions that maybe you don't know how to do that. And I think that's one of the reasons why so many of us will go to Adele when we feel sad. She can actually translate that for us. When you listen to her song, she brings in the drama and the trauma of lament. They're modern day laments. But you know there's also a scientific reason why people go to Adele. In fact, scientists actually took her, all of her songs and they broke them down. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal called The Anatomy of a Tearjerker. And what these guys did was they analyzed all of Adele's music and they found something. They found that there's a slight modulation in her voice, which actually creates more tension in the notes. So it makes you sad. Like literally, scientifically speaking, Adele is the saddest artist of all time. It's, just, it's in the science, people. It's in the science. But you know, there's something about sadness in all seriousness, I think that makes us feel a little uncomfortable, right? You see someone who's been sad for a long, long time, and maybe you don't say it, but you're thinking, why can't this person just get over it, right? Like, you know, when you're sad, you're like, maybe we like to dip into Adele, but then we dip out and we're done. But I don't think as a culture, we're very comfortable with grief and sadness, with pain and with sorrow. I mean, think about it. You know, we go through seasons where we are experiencing a lot of pain or sorrow or sadness, or if you haven't, one day you will. But, but this is kind of a part of life. In fact, the psalmists, they didn't shy away from this. In fact, the psalmists, they leaned into the pain. They leaned into the anguish. They leaned into the hard times of life. In fact, that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Psalm 13. Psalm 13 is a lament psalm. And this is a psalm where we're going to see uh, David, 
Lean into the anguish. Lean into the hard parts of life. In fact, when it comes to lamenting, even though we say these are complaints, and they are, these aren't essentially permission for you to kind of wallow in self-pity, to kind of stay in this place of woe is me. In fact, what the psalmists do with laments is they do something spiritual. They, 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 they give them up to God. They, they move them up. They, they speak these laments to God, and some transformative work takes place. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Psalm 13. If not, we're going to walk through it together. You can follow along on the screen. And now we know that this is a Psalm of David because in his, the superscript it says it. But here's what David sings. He sings this. He sings, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? And so David is basically, you know, having this sadness. And it's not like an intellectual sadness. This is a deep soul sadness. This is the kind of sadness that says, I'm really struggling here. And I think for many of us, we kind of struggle with sadness a little bit. Like, we, we're like, okay, maybe I feel it, but we try to kind of deny it. Like, as a, as a culture, like, oh, I'm not really sad, you know, I'm just going to get over it, we'll move on really quick. And I feel like we really do this, like, at church all the time. Like, we're really good at denying our sadness. Like, I remember I, I was talking to a guy the other day, and I knew he was going through a hard time. Like, his marriage was struggling, his kids were going through an awful time. And so I was just asking him, so, so dude, like, how you doing? I'm doing great. What do you mean? You're, you're, you're really doing great? Let me tell you, brother, I am too blessed to be stressed. And I'm like, what? Like, what does that even mean? Like, okay, now you're lying and you're in denial. Like, it's like double sin. And I think we, you know, we often do that because we think, oh, we're Christians. You know, we have Jesus. Everything should be happy all the time. Happy, 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 happy. But can we just acknowledge something honestly that life is not always so happy? Life can sometimes really suck. And it can be painful, and it can be difficult, even for Christians. You know, the other week, uh, I was talking to someone in our church, and he said, Nathan, I feel like someone just put a, let a bomb go off in my marriage. My husband comes, and he says he wants to, to be separated. And I knew things were bad, and I knew we were struggling, but I wasn't expecting this. It was way worse than I thought. So she's now lamenting, giving that to God. I was talking to someone else in church who's like, you know, Nathan, I'm really struggling because I, you know, I've, I've been going to the doctors and the doctors are sending me to other doctors. I'm going from specialist to specialist, but no one seems to know what's going on with me. I just have this chronic pain, this chronic fatigue, and it's really affecting work and it's affecting uh, my family. And I'm just frustrated. I'm frustrated with God that he hasn't been able to fix this yet, that this is still happening to me. He's, he's lamenting. A friend of ours um, had gotten engaged, and we were so excited for it. We're like, yes, like, praise God, we've been praying for this. And then they went to premarital counseling, and all this stuff started to come up, and we're like, oh, yeah, you, you can't, I gotta break this off. It's not gonna work. And so as she did, she's, she's like devastated. She goes, how long, oh, Lord? Like, how long do I have to be single? I, I thought that God brought the right guy, and it turned out the whole thing was falling apart. And so she's lamenting, just like David did. When he said this, he said, how long will my enemy triumph over me? And you're looking at David going, Look, what's this enemy you're talking about? David was a guy that had lots of enemies. Last week, we looked at how his son was his enemy. This week, though, the enemy is another guy. It's a guy named Saul. Saul was the current king of Israel. And more than anything, Saul wanted David dead. Why? Well, at the age of 17, David was anointed to be the next king of Israel. 
But he did not sit on the throne until he was 30 years old. What happened? Well, for 13 years, King Saul hunted down David, trying to kill him. In fact, the first time that David hid in those caves that we saw last week was during this season of his life. Scholars say that David was in this place where he was hiding from Saul, trying to keep away from Saul's men and Saul's soldiers, that he started to write this psalm, this lamenting psalm. Because look, go, go, goes on and he says this, Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, meaning, God, tell me what's going on here, or I'm going to sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. So David is confused. He's angry. He's sad. He goes, God, I don't get this. You promised that I was going to do something great. You promised that I was going to do something big. Like, you had this plan for my life, and I believed it, but then I started taking steps in that direction. It seems like things were good. You know, King Saul hired me. King Saul was mentoring me. Now he's throwing spears at me? Like, what's going on, God? David's puzzled. But you can imagine why he would be. Why would God say one thing, and then all of a sudden, it seems like circumstances and situations are all going in the opposite direction? But then David has an interesting turn, an interesting twist in here, that maybe we're like, why is he saying this? Because look at how he finishes his song. He sings this, but I trust in your, what's that church? Let's all say it together unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. You're like, wait, what? What happened in verse 4, David, where you're like, God, where are you? You forgot my number, to, but I'm going to trust in you because you're good. Like, what's going on here? Like, David's in this place where he's like lamenting. He's like, God, where are you in this? Did you abandon me? And all of a sudden he's like, but God, you're good. Praise in your name. Hallelujah. Like, what kind of mood swing is David, you know, going through? Like, what's he on here, right? But the, the truth of the matter is, this is what's interesting, is this is actually the formula that the Psalms of Lament move into. And so David is kind of, kind of following along with that Psalm of Lament. You see, the Psalms of Lament really begin with what I call protest. And then they end with praise. So go ahead and put a hand up and say protest. Put another hand up and say praise. praise. Protest. Protest. Praise. praise. The lament psalms will start as a protest. God, why are you doing this? God, the world is messed up. God, my life is messed up. God, you're messed up. They all start that way. But then somehow they go through a journey where they end in praise. But you got to go through the process. In fact, there's three phases that these psalms go into. Uh, Dr. Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar, was the one that kind of un unearthed these, um, these phases. And these phases actually are parallel to seasons of our own lives. In fact, I want to I kind of walk through some of those phases. The first phase is what I call the cruising phase. Say cruising. cruising. This is when everything in life is going great. Like, you know, you're getting good grades, like all the kids are getting along, no one is sick in your family, you know, you get a parking spot at Trader Joe's, you know, uh, the lights are always green, there's money in the bank, everything is awesome, right? You're cruising through life, hashtag winning. And so on your playlist, if you have a cruising playlist, you've got something that sounds something like this. All I do is win, 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 no matter what, got money yeah. on my mind. Hands up! See, it's not just preachers that are trying to get your hands up. The DJs want your hands up too. Come on. Hashtag winning. Hashtag winning. So life's good. You're cruising, right? 
but doesn't always stay cruising, right? Eventually, you hit some bumps in the road and you're crashing. Someone say crashing. crashing. This is when things start to go off the rails a little bit. This is when you go through a season of hurt, whether it's personal hurt or maybe you go through some physical hurt. It's a season of depression. You, you've lost the job. Your kids are walking away from God. The Yankees don't make the World Series. You know, you are lamenting. And when we hit these seasons of deep sadness and, and, and anger, you know, oftentimes, you know, the psalmists will actually take these anguished words right up to God. They'll just tell God exactly what they're thinking, exactly what they are feeling, and they'll start to express them to God. In fact, uh, you know, again, if you, have, if you have a playlist and you've got some crashing songs, the Chainsmokers have a great song that really encapsulates this. Check this out. Crashing, hit a wall. Right now I need a miracle. So she's asking for a miracle. She's lamenting. calling out for help and not getting it. Literally, it's like they just took a psalm and put it in the song. Reaching out, I'm stranded, you know, where are you? That's exactly what happens. When you're crashing, you protest. When things are falling apart around you, you're like, God, where are you in this? What are you doing? Have you forgotten about me? And often the psalms, the psalmists are more anguished and they're more angry as they express these things to God. But then something starts to happen. We actually saw David express in his song. There's a turn that starts to take. You go from cruising, things are great, then you're crashing, everything's falling apart, to finally you're crushing it. Say crushing. So really, this is the idea that, you know, God will take you from this place of crashing and bring you to a place of crushing it where you realize, you know what, you went through that dark time for a reason. Like, you actually have new insights, you have new perceptions, you have new ways of looking at the world. And sometimes, your situations and your circumstances may not change. But you have been transformed. Because you realize that what doesn't kill you makes you... Stronger. That's right. Doesn't kill you makes you noise. Come on, no Kelly Clarkson fans here? Man, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You can celebrate moving out of that time of darkness and pain because God has delivered you from it. Amen. Only God can take you out of the crashing to the crushing. So this is the invitation that God gives us. We start out cruising, thinking things are okay, but then when we hit the crash, we, 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 we were looking for help, we're crying out to God, and finally God brings us out of it, and we're crushing it. We, we'd love to get to the crushing it phase, but we, we'd like to skip over the crashing part. I want to go from cruising to crushing God, but God's like, no, no, no. Transformation happens when you're crashing. Transformation happens when you're calling out to me. Transformation happens when you're looking more to me and not to your situations and your circumstances around you. Amen? Amen. Because we have a God who's a God of resurrection. And you can't get resurrection without death. This is the journey that your God is inviting you on. This is the journey that the Psalms is inviting us to walk into. So I want to walk through some of the benefits that we have from lamenting. If we learn how to lament well in the season of crashing, we will come into the season of crushing it better than before. 
So I'm going to look at the first benefit is this, is lamenting brings your sadness to God. You don't hide it, you don't deny it, but you bring it to God. Look what David says in his psalm. He, the psalm goes pretty fast from cruising to crashing. Because, you know, he's not walking on sunshine, he's listening to Adele on 11. So look at David's prayer. What does he sing? He sings, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? What he's basically saying is, God, why'd you ghost me? God, I'm like texting you and you're not texting me back. God, I'm making phone calls. I'm leaving voicemails and nothing. I see the dot, dot, dot on my text messages, but I don't see words. Like, what's going on, God? How many of you right now are in a how long, O oh Lord, situation? You are like, how long, how long, O oh Lord? Like, what's going on? Where are you? Why haven't you answered my prayer? Why haven't you showed up? Maybe you're praying this, like, God, how long, O oh Lord, before I find a job? How long, O oh Lord, before this cancer is gone? How long, O oh Lord, before our nation is no longer divided by race and inequality? How long, O oh Lord, before I finally meet this, my significant other? How long, how long, how long, how long, fill in the blank? And whatever that situation is, it fills you with sadness and sorrow and anger. And you see, when we feel those things, that's the opportunity for us to actually bring it to God. Rather than just kind of moving over it quickly, we need to pause wherever we are and say, God, I'm sad right now. God, I'm hurt right now. I'm angry right now. And we give it to him. Because the second benefit from lamenting is that it invites God's power into your pain. I mean, look what David sings next. He sings this. He sings, look on me and answer, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes. God, give me understanding. Show me what you're doing. Or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. See, David is experiencing injustice, so he brings his sadness to God, right? He's like, God, what is going on here? This is wrong. I'm not ready to praise you, but I'm ready to protest. I'm ready to tell you why this is wrong, why this is unfair, why you've got this wicked king in power and I'm stuck running in the desert. Like literally, David is, is protesting all of this to God. He's not holding back, he's not holding in, but he's holding it up to God. And I, I think often in our culture, when it comes to emotions of sadness and anger and sorrow and all the ones in between, we usually have two responses. The first is we stuff it. Right? We're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to stuff this down. I'm going to pretend it's not there. You know, you know we just kind of move on quick, right? We just want to get over it, right? We, we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to look weak. We don't want to look needy. You know, in fact, um, sometimes our families, that's how they handle sadness and sorrow and anger. They just stuff it down. You know, I had a buddy, and he's Puerto Rican, and what he was telling me was, you know, in our family, we didn't do sadness. We did salsa. You know, we had a party. Oh, you feel bad? It's okay. We'll have a party. We'll get some food. We'll do some dancing. Everything's going to be okay. They stuff it. They deny it. You just get over it, right? Oh, your relationship broke up? Just get over it. You lost your job? Just get over it. Your dog died? Just get over it. Just move on quick. You know, just stuff the emotions down. But then there's the other extreme where you don't stuff it, but you verbally vomit it out all over everyone. It's like you verbally vomit on Facebook. I'm going to tell everyone how, what my boss said and did and how terrible they're. I'm going to verbally vomit to everyone about how awful my ex is or how awful my kids are. And you verbally vomit to everybody. But here's the thing about verbal vomit. You feel good. Everyone around you is like, oh, I'm covered in vomit. Oh, 
I do? It's gross. It smells bad. <laughs> Verbal vomit. But there's a third option. You can lament and take all that stuff and you focus it upward. Now, obviously, there's a place where you need to process things with people, but the first place you go is you take all that stuff, all that uncensored, raw emotion and anger, and you say, God, I need to give all of this to you. And it's not actually emotionally destructive when you do that. It's actually spiritually constructive. Because when you're crashing, you need to protest. And you need to protest to your God. Because lamenting is the spiritually mature response to sadness and sorrow. See, we lament. What you do is you're actually speaking it out to God. You're actually giving God everything. You're, 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 you're not censoring it. It's raw. It's real. It doesn't matter, you know, what anyone else thinks because it's just between you and him. He hears you. He, he receives it all. And then something happens where as you unload all that stuff or upload all that stuff to God, it actually creates space in you to receive more of him and to receive more of his transformation. But we have to be honest enough to be able to do that and raw. You know, there's a couple I know who, um, they've been trying to have a kid for about 10 years. And then, the, you know, maybe this isn't God's will. Maybe we'll start fostering. We want to we have a family. So they, they get this infant and they're excited. And then all of a sudden, about six months later, the state says their mom got her life back together. We need to take, take the baby. And they were angry. And so they lamented. They said to God, God, I don't understand why you would give us a desire to have a family, but not the means to make it happen. God, I don't understand why we would try for 10 years. And God, we were faithful and we prayed. We did everything we were supposed to do. And then you bless us with a child. Then you take him away? God, can you really be that cruel? Can you really be that capricious? Like, what kind of God would, would do this? And some of you are like, whoa. Can you really pray like that to God? Yes. That's how God wants you to pray. Give him all your pain. Give him all the anger. Give him all the rage. Doesn't matter how venomous it sounds. Your God can handle it. Because here's what happens. When you upload that pain and that sorrow and you upload the emotion to God as many times in the day that you feel it, as many times you have the opportunity to give it to him, you actually start to create space for him to fill that air. The spirit fills those holes those gaps. And then here's what's weird, what happens. And this is actually what David talks about. Lamenting actually leads to confidence in Christ. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. I'm like complaining about God. How is this increasing my confidence in him? But look at how David finishes his song. Look what he sings. He sings, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your, what's that word, church? Salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. What's going on here? Like again, mood swing, David? Are you swinging back over here? Are you trying to praise your way into happiness? I don't think any of that's happening. I, I think there's a couple things happening. The first thing is, we don't know how long it took David to write these six verses. He could have started the first four the first week he was in the desert and then wrapped it up two or three years later. But most scholars think David was still in the desert when he finished this. I think what happens is we have to look at what David's praising God for. He's praising him for his unfailing love. He's like, God, even though I don't feel like praising you right now, I look around and your love has never let me down. You're still with me. You're still loyal. He's praising God for his salvation, for his rescue. He's like, God, I don't know how you're going to get me out of this situation, but I choose to worship you and praise you and believe that you are going to be the one that's going to pull me 
out of this situation. David's choosing to praise in the midst of his protest. See, this isn't linear. Sometimes we protest and we praise at the same time. Because it's the only way for us to kind of get through those painful moments and those painful times in our lives. In fact, that's exactly what Becky Reese was experiencing. For Becky, she experienced, I think, every parent's worst nightmare. When back in 2000, her daughter was kidnapped and then murdered. It's like, what do you do with that? You know, she had every right to take her grief and her pain and turn inward to be angry at God and the world around her. But she did something that actually transformed her from the inside out. She lamented. And here's what happened. Check this out. Our 17-year-old daughter and her friend were abducted from a, a local video store. We had no idea what was going on until 3.45 the next morning when the police showed up at our door. When we pulled up to the emergency entrance, there were multiple uh, law enforcement agencies represented. As they began to talk, my husband stopped them. And he said, I already know my daughter's dead. And at that point in time, I fell against my husband just sobbing. And we were only at the hospital about an hour. It seems like a lifetime in so many ways. And within just a few hours, there were probably close to 100 people at our home. As they, they came, we would tell them and, and we would all cry together. So many tears, no matter what way we turned, we would cry. There was just so many things going on so full of, of grief, of sorrow. God spoke to me most in the shower because that's where I, I kind of let everything go. I was, I was by myself and the, the tears mingled with the water. You know, I don't mean it to sound dramatic, but it's true. And I can remember I was washing my hair and I was just sobbing. I'm like, God, where were you? Where were you? You could have stopped this. God, you just don't understand. You don't know how it feels to lose a child. And God stopped me short. And he said, uh, yeah, I do. And I can remember standing there just sobbing when the reality hit me that if it wasn't for him losing his son, I would have no hope. I would have nothing to lean on. I had a very difficult time reading I couldn't concentrate. I struggled with that, but I could sing. I could listen to worship music, and that the words that were spoken in those songs bolstered me and gave me the strength to take the next step that I needed to take. And at that point in time, it put such hope and peace into my heart. We prayed for God to use this story however he could, in any way that he could, that would bring glory to his name. He honored every prayer, not necessarily in the way that, that we would have wanted it to be answered, but we knew that God had a far greater purpose. We began sharing our story in, in churches. Here, out in Amish country, we had a, a, an Amish bishop call our home and invite us to his home because he wanted to talk to us. It was such a, a tragic thing in our area, but because we allowed God to use it because we gave God the glory and uh, we offered forgiveness to the man that murdered her. It spoke volumes to people here. 
There were so many times when I just wanted to give up. Even though we didn't get our daughter back, we didn't get so many things. We would rather have had Liz. Rather our family not have to go through this. But God knew that through this, there were going to be so many lives changed. It's a raw story. It's a painful story. And, man, my prayer is that we would never, ever experience something, anything that unimaginable. To have to struggle with the loss of a child and then try to figure out where God was in this. In the midst of her crash, Becky's lamenting. She's protesting. She says in the shower, God, how could you? God, you could have done something. You're the all-powerful, almighty God. You could have done something. You could have snapped your fingers and fixed all of it. God, do you know how much pain I'm in? Do you know how, 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 how hurtful this is? God, do you know what it's like to lose a child? She hears God's voice and he says, I know what it's like to lose a child. You know why God can handle your pain? Because he knows what it's like. He knows what you're going through. He knows what it feels. Because on the cross, Jesus died not for his own sins. He died for the sins of others. On the cross, Jesus experienced the greatest injustice of all history where the sins of all humanity came upon him, crushed him. And on that cross, Jesus sings a psalm of protest. He sings, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It comes right out of Psalm 22, where Jesus is expressing the emotion. He's singing out loud. But his last words on the cross from that place of protest was this, God, into your hands I commit my spirit. Maybe for some of you here, your how long, O Lord, moment, you might need to say a new prayer, which is, God, into your hands I give you this situation. I give you this confusion. I give you this pain. See, This is why we lament. Because once we experience death and once we experience pain and sorrow, once we experience the crash, there's resurrection. There can be no resurrection without death. I remember I was talking with Pastor Clint and saying, hey, Pastor Clint, what's a good song of lament? Like, I feel like we need to have like a song of worship, of lament. And he says, we don't have any. Because I think we're really uncomfortable staying in the sadness, staying in those seasons of sorrow. We just want to get right to rejoicing. We just want to get right to crushing it. But God's not done doing a work in the crash. God's not done doing a work in the broken places yet. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to end by actually praying 
a lament, just like Jesus did on the cross. He prayed Psalm 22 to God. He sang that out to God. So we're going to pray Psalm 13. And maybe you're here this morning, you know, Nathan, I don't know if I'm ready for that because I'm still in the protest phase. I'm still saying, God, I hate this situation. I hate what you're doing. I don't understand why this is going on. And if that's where you're at today, that's okay. You need to be in that phase. You need to say those kind of prayers to God. You need to complain to your Father. He wants that pain. But maybe your next step is to also let your mouth lead your heart. Because maybe your heart's not into it. But you need to speak the truth. The truth is that He has not left you. He is with you, even if He feels far away. The truth is that He will rescue you. He is the God of salvation. He has not changed in that. And you need to speak that truth out. So here's what I want to do. All across our campuses, hands up, praise and protest. And let's stand up as we say together Psalm 13. Let's say it together. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. And so, Father, as we come before you, Lord, some of us are here with protest. We're in pain. We're crashing out. But God, we know that you are not done. We know that our story isn't over. We know that even in the midst of our pain, there is a purpose that you're working through that's far greater than anything we could ever imagine. And so, Father, as we right now lament, as we protest, we also remember that we can praise that you are the God of the resurrection. You are the God of second chances. So we embrace that truth. We embrace that hope in the mighty and awesome and all-powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.